0: Welcome, and we're glad that you are joining in with us today for MCC Church at Home. Again, this is another week where we're gathering together through technology to be able to redeem it in a way where the gospel can continue to come to right where you are at. If you were here with us last week at Church at Home, we talked about this awesome thing that we're going to get able to do because of how generous the people of MCC have been over the last two months. We are going to be able to take everything that came in as an offering to mcc last week and over the course of 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 this past five days previous to today and we're going to allow that to go to what we were calling the COVID 19 relief offering and i'm happy to announce to you guys today that you have went above and beyond and we are going to have an amazing time blessing spreading the gospel being the hands and feet of jesus meeting real needs in our community because all together We are getting ready to, over the next days, weeks, and months, give away, directly to meet needs, within our local community, $28,171. And I cannot wait, and I hope the comments are going crazy. I hope there's hearts are flying everywhere, and the smiley faces are in thumbs up, and everything's going crazy right now. Because I hope that you are celebrating you. Well done, church. Wherever you're at, give yourself a round of applause. You are an amazing body of Christ. And I cannot wait. To partner with you guys continually so that we can go and actually take what has been given now to go and meet these needs. God is on the move and I cannot wait to see how we can partner with uh, local organizations, with local food pantries, uh, with organizations who are meeting needs. Even with just random people who are bringing needs of local individuals to our attention who are some in our network, some without, or outside of our network. And we're going to have an awesome opportunity uh, to be the hands and feet of Christ. I just want to again say Thank you. Well done, church. You are helping a movement of God start and keep going. I want to pray for us, and we're going to dive in today into God's Word. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the fact that uh, we get to do things like this. God, that your people can gather together and and actually live out what we saw happening in Acts 2.45, where they took things that they had, when they took money that they had, and they gave it to other people because they knew, God, they knew that there was a need. And Father, you placed a need on our heart, you placed a trust in your people that they lived out, and God, here we are, getting ready to to see what it looks like to allow a need and a response to meet people where they're at. And Father, I pray that your gospel would do that very same thing today that it would meet people where they're at. God, that the sound of my voice would be the sound of your voice, that you would speak directly through your word and remind people who are in desperate need of hope, in desperate need of help, in desperate need of something real to encounter, that you are with them today, that you have found a way into their car, into their living room, into their garage, wherever it is right now, you're with them. And I pray that they have an encounter with you today. In your name, Jesus, amen. So today... Uh, I want to start off by talking about something that, honestly, I'm not super looking forward to talking about. It's something that, in order to talk to you about, I'm going to end up looking less than perfect. And honestly, coming into a place like this and talking about something like this, it makes me be more vulnerable than I normally would want to be on a Sunday. And honestly, like this has probably been the only time where I have taught via camera where I'm actually glad to be teaching over camera because I think it would be even harder for me if you were in the room with me as I shared some of these things that I just hope is me being honest and me being transparent and me sharing this real life struggle because guys I want to confess to you I am not as confident as I pretend to be I'm not nearly as confident as I pretend to be and there are a lot of times in my own life Where I find myself in different situations and in different seasons asking myself this question. Do I have what it takes? Do do I actually have what it takes? And this whole uh, COVID-19, coronavirus, and all this stuff has, has brought up a, a new set of do I have what it takes. Questions like, do I have what it takes to be able to lead a church through a, a worldwide pandemic? Do I have what it takes to be able to adapt and overcome and, and still be able to, even though you can't get a church together, keep a church together? Do I have what it takes to be able to navigate whenever uh, we get into what life will be like? Do I have a, the wisdom and the abilities to be able to navigate what was to what is now? And to make matters worse, there was already this sense of doubt around having what it takes just in the things that were already there. Of going, man, do I have what it takes to be the husband that my wife needs me to be? Do I have what it takes to every single time resist and say no and stay pure and stay dedicated and stay providing and stay protecting? I have doubts whether or not I have what it takes to be the father that my boys need me to be. Because a lot of days, guys, if I'm honest, I feel like a little boy too. And so I wonder, do I have what it takes to lead them into manhood when I still sometimes feel like a little boy? And I, and I wonder, and as I look around and, and, and see, uh, even this past week, uh, a pastor commits suicide. And I, and I see about pastors who are committing adultery. And I, and I see all these things blowing up. And, and I wonder, do I have what it takes to not be just another pastor who crashes and burns? And I find myself oftentimes wondering, do I have what it takes? And guys, I'm confessing this to you today. Because I'm willing to bet that there are other people on the other side of the screen, on the other side of the camera... And you're like me. You also wonder, do you have what it takes? You're wondering, do you have what it takes to be able to navigate a new career? See, this whole coronavirus thing it has, has put us all in this new place where we have these new doubts. If there was not already enough self-doubt that we could have, this whole COVID experience has put us in this dog pile of doubt for a lot of us. And so we wondering: do I have what it takes to be a homeschool mom? Do I have what it takes to make a career change? Do I have what it takes to find toilet paper? Do I have what it takes to be able to make ends meet until this check comes in? Do I have what it takes? And on top of that, we are already navigating all the things that we were wondering whether or not we had what it takes. Do I have what it takes to actually find someone to marry me? Do I have what it takes to have children? Do I have what it takes to to be able to go off to college and to be able to navigate that on my own? Do I have what it takes to be able to be a single parent? Do I have what it takes to to show them what it means to follow Jesus? Do I have what it takes? Man, if there is ever a question that reigns in the heart of our lives, it's do I have what it takes and a lot of times it keeps us from risking it keeps us from doing things and the reason I bring this question to your attention is because we've been diving into the book of Acts and we've seen these stories of their lives and as we look at the story of what we see here we find ourselves going man I want my life to look like that I want my life to feel like that and if you're like me and you ever have times where you doubt whether or not God can use you, if you ever doubt whether or not God can actually take you to a place that you've never been before, if you ever doubt whether or not you have what it takes, and you're like me, and sometimes, man, it feels like the odds are stacked against you, like you don't have what it takes, then I hope that you find encouragement in this passage that we're getting ready to dive into today. Today we're going to look at four guys in particular, four men in particular, that to me are proof positive that people, ordinary, regular people like me and you can push back the lies of life that would tell us that, no, 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 you don't have what it takes. You, you, you could never be someone who could be used like these people were used, kind of in this unstoppable way. No, you don't have what it takes. And so today, we're going to look at the type of people that God chooses and uses. And now he, through his word, through his spirit, and through their surrender, Gives them what they need. And I want to tell you and invite you even now to, to go and grab a Bible. We're going to start out in, Luke's, Luke 4, or in Acts 4.13. That's where we're going to be eventually. But as we're going there, I want to I set something up for you as you're turning to Acts. Because this whole idea and this concept of, man, I making these excuses as to why God couldn't use you, and making these excuses as a why, maybe or maybe not, like I I can never be used by God again, or maybe whether or not I I don't actually have what it takes. See, sometimes what I've found is that some of our excuses of why we can't be used by God are the very things that God is hearing in heaven and going, no, 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 that's actually the exact reason why I do want to use you. And and, and as I've tried to battle these lies in my own life, here's one of the things that, that I've come to learn. When God looks for the people that he wants to use, when God looks for the people that he wants to use, God doesn't look at ability. God looks at availability. If you're taking notes, write that down. God, when he's looking for the people to use, he is not looking for their abilities. He's not looking for their pedigree. He's not looking for their stature. He's not looking for their education. God's looking for somebody who would say, I am available to you. If you go throughout scripture and you go throughout history from Old Testament, from cover to cover, what you will find is this. That the people that God used in unstoppable ways were people who at the top two lines of their resume to be used by God did not have a bunch of amazing list of credentials. The top two lines of the resumes of the people that God uses in unstoppable ways are willingness and availability. Willingness and availability. And so today, I, I want to, to, to beg you maybe to say, hey, like, I, I, I believe what you're saying, God. And maybe just maybe you could use my weaknesses as a stage for your strength. And see, I believe that you actually do have what it takes. But in the same way that I believe you have what it takes, that I have what it takes, there are lies that try to get us to believe that we don't. And so today I want to dive in to some of those lies. Because here's the deal. God, he, he, he said in this book in 2 Chronicles, he, he was talking and he said, it says that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro. But it didn't say the, guy, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro for someone with a full head of hair. Thank God. It didn't say the eyes of the Lord look to and fro for someone who hits that magic number on the scale, he didn't say the eyes of the Lord look to and fro for someone who has it all together and whose kids make perfect grades and for who has, you know, the executive level job. It says in in Second Chronicles sixteen nine, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to and fro to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. See, God, He's not looking for you to have it all together. He's looking for a surrendered heart because God could do more through your surrender than you could ever do through your abilities to try to control. And so today, what I want to do is I want to try to pick a fight. I want to try to pick a fight with the three lies that make us stoppable. If you're taking notes, the first lie that makes us stoppable, that helps us and and makes us doubt that we don't have what it takes is the lie that I don't know enough. I, I just don't know enough. So if you're, you're tracking in Scripture, one of the things that you remember through the book of Acts is this guy, Peter. He shows up on the scene, and he just takes this mantle as the leader of the movement of God, the movement of Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls on him. He preaches a sermon. 3,000 people get saved, and they begin to live together. They begin to share each other's needs. They get devoted to the apostles' teaching, which Peter was continuing to teach and preach and through that season. And there's this other story in Acts where what happens is, is there's this, this man, and he's crippled, and he's begging. And and Peter says, man, I don't have any money to give you, but uh, I I do have something better. I I have a gift from God. And he heals this man, and the word starts to spread throughout the town, and what ends up happening is Peter comes and he preaches another sermon, and more and more people get saved. So many people are getting saved, and this this movement is beginning to snowball, and what happens is these same religious leaders who, who crucified Christ now take Peter and John, these two men, they take Peter and John, these guys who are leading this movement, and they throw them in jail. And they throw them in jail, and they whip them, and they beat them. And what happens even while they're in jail, they're preaching, and they're telling people about God. And then they, they bring them out of jail, and they start to ask them questions, and they're interrogating them. And, and they're amazed at the response that Peter and John are giving them, so much so that it's recorded. And I think Luke knew what he was doing when he wrote this down because he wanted to help people like me and you. This is what it says in Luke's, uh, Luke's account in Acts verse uh, chapter 4, verse 13. This is when the religious leaders, as they're seeing what Peter and John are doing, in verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were, or underline this, unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So again, you have these guys who were just ordinary men. But something happens in this moment because of what's going on in this move of the Holy Spirit. These guys who had not been to Bible college, these guys who had not had formal education, these guys in the eyes of the most religious and most educated are looking at these guys and going, hey, they're talking above our heads. They're understanding stuff on a whole different level than what we're on. And see, what I want you to understand here, and again, take notes of this, confidence comes from closeness with Christ. That the confidence that we see in these guys, it came from them having a closeness with Christ. And what's wild about this is, if you think back to what these guys looked like in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How stumbling over themselves they were. How um, unput together they were. Like, even if Jesus showed up and he was in the synagogues with the other religious leaders, Jesus was the guy who was kind of out front. Jesus did most of the talking. And all the religious leaders looked at him and were like, man, that guy is teaching with authority. And now, fast forward, Jesus is now not on the scene in person, but he's on the scene inside of these men. And what's beautiful is these same religious leaders who killed Jesus now recognize Jesus inside of James and John. And see, that's why I say that this closeness with Christ, this literal inside-of-me closeness with Christ, is what breeds confidence and boldness to where, hey, the fact that I wasn't educated, it doesn't matter anymore. Because here's the deal, like... I think sometimes we get hung up on this idea that like you have to have gone to Bible college to be used by God in a mighty way. But let me explain something to you. Between Peter and John, there were eight books of the Bible written. So grasp that. Eight books of the Bible were written by guys who didn't go to Bible college. Like let that sink in a little bit. See, when you're close to Christ, amazing things can happen. And and, and what education you may or may not have, that doesn't hold you back. And I want to explain something to you, man, that that it took me a long time to figure out because, man, I I went to Bible college. I did this, and I'm not trying to knock education. We should be students of the word. We shouldn't be Christians who check our faith or check our head at the door. We should actually have faith with our mind, and and, and we should go there, and we should minister to people by connecting with their thoughts and their reason and their logic. But here's the deal. Most people, we are far educated scripturally past our level to obey God that said scripture. And so we know a lot of stuff, but our ability to obey the same things that we learned and we've memorized, sometimes they don't match up. And see, the role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to shrink that gap. And So what we see here is these guys, um, there was not a fear inside of them. And I think one of the things that the Holy Spirit knew about people like me and you is we would have these fears about Having an unstoppable faith that would lead us to talk to people, that would lead us to open our mouths and be able to share that same faith with other people out there. See, the Holy Spirit knew that you would have doubts about how to open up a conversation about Jesus with your husband. See, the Holy Spirit knew that you would have doubts about whether or not when was the right time to open up a conversation about Jesus with your prodigal kid. He he knew that you would have a hard time in figuring out what words to say with that friend who you see going down a wrong wrong path. And see, because the Holy Spirit knew that you would kind of have a hard time figuring out what was the right thing to say in the right moment, uh, Jesus said this about teaching how the Holy Spirit was going to work, and he said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. He said, don't worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. See, there's this, this Holy Spirit that comes into our lives and it begins to actually teach us what we should say in these moments. And, and listen, listen, like you've probably experienced this. You've probably had one of those moments in life where you had a prompting and, and something in you just said, I need to talk to them. I need to pray with them. I need to ask them what they're doing. Maybe you saw someone in tears. Maybe you saw them crying. Maybe you saw someone who was in need or whatever. And you felt this prompting. And as this happens, like your palms start to sweat and your mouth, you're just getting dry mouth and your heart's starting to beat and you're nervous and you're like, oh my goodness. And and you've had those times in your life, probably just like I have, where you felt all of that and you have done nothing. I've done that. But also... You've probably had those same times in your life where you followed through on the prompting and you, you were there and, and in the moment and you began to start talking and you were talking and you're like, oh, this is, this is good. And you're like, oh, man, this is, this is actually too good to be me. And what was going on there is the Holy Spirit was actually using you in that moment because you were appointed to do that. And, and he allowed you because of your follow through to take part and someone getting actually closer to God. And I can tell you this, for my life and for your life, probably you've experienced this, man, the times when I have followed through on a prompting from God, there's never been one time of those where I've looked back on that moment and gone, oh, I sure do regret that. And so if, if, if it's something that has never been regretted, why don't I do it more? See, Jesus promised that there would be times in our life where we would be used by him to speak truth into other people's life, where we would have divine, from God, help to be used by him, to have what it takes. I love what he said in John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus was talking about this Holy Spirit who's going to come and indwell in these guys, and in John 14, 26, he said this, but the advocate, and again, that's that's another word gets translated as helper, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So if you've ever, if you've ever wondered, like, what's, what's really, in a, just boil it all down for me, Trent, what is the role of the, what does the Holy Spirit do? Two things. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to us, and the Holy Spirit reminds us of truth. It reveals and it reminds it reveals and it reminds. So here, here's what I want you to know in this. The Holy Spirit is what reveals the truth to us. And so it, it, it takes us to this place where when we dive into God's word and we experience things in life, we experience what truth actually is. I mean, my, my wife and I, we were walking through the neighborhood the other day and we were just expressing our frustration and weariness with so many conspiracy theories, so many things and all these things in life. And, and I just said, I just wish I knew what was true. Like, I just wish I knew who to believe. Like, I can't even, like, are eggs good for me or not? Like, even the simplest things, we have no idea because there's so many different things and there's so many different angles. And I think that's why now more than ever, we need to lean into, as God's people, what we know is actually true. Because the things of this world, man, it is confusing. But the things that I find in the word of God These are the truths that I can go to bed at night and know, okay, I can rest in that, I can hope in that. The other part is it reveals to the truth to me, but the other side of that is it reminds me of those truths. Now here's the deal: the Holy Spirit can only remind you of what you've already learned. So what this means for us is we actually have to be in God's Word. We have to actually have a hunger to be self-feeders. Sunday cannot be the only day we eat. And understand this, guys, man. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to you and reminds truth to you so that that truth can get through you. It was never meant to just come to you so that you can just sit on it and be the sour sponge who just soaks it up and soaks it up and soaks it up and so I think sometimes man, we make discipleship way more complicated than it is. want you want to again boil it all down, make it really simple. you want a simplified version of what discipleship is. It's taking what the Holy Spirit has revealed and reminded to you and sharing that with somebody else. It's you being used by the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to them. And so you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have a master's level biblical degree. All you have to say is, here's what the Holy Spirit is revealing to me. And I have lived this out. I have found this to be true. Now I want to share this with you. So the first lie is that I don't know enough. The second lie that makes us unstoppable, that makes us doubt whether or not we have what it takes, is I don't have the position. I don't have the position. See, a lot of times we think, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a leader, I don't work at church, I don't even volunteer, I can't spell Philippians, I can't remember, um, man, what's what's all these things? I don't know the timeline, I don't know if Moses came first, or Aaron came first, or Joseph. I I have no idea. And I think because of this, we forget about what Peter said in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. He said that you are a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. And so what for you that means, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, is that you are a priest of God. You're not just a, a, a sinner who sometimes gets it right. You're a saint who may sometimes sin. And this should give us some hope. This should give us some promise because wherever you're at right now, that is actually the position that God has placed you in. See, God is sovereign. In every moment of our lives, he is sovereign. That means he reigns. That means He is ruling over that. And wherever you're at in this moment, wherever, wherever you're at watching this, God has you there for a reason. And I love what we see in the regards to position. If you look in the book of Acts, there's this guy named Stephen. In Acts 6, 8, we see a little bit of Stephen's story. Acts 6, 8, it's talking about Stephen. It says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now, I want to pause right there and give you an idea of who Stephen actually is. See, Stephen, different than the other apostles, Stephen is not like a top dog apostle. He is not one of the original 12. Stephen, at this point in time, is actually just a guy who is a waiter. He is literally waiting tables. But did you see what what God was doing in and through him, despite a position that nobody was really psyched about? God was doing miracles and wonders through him, despite maybe a position that nobody was really thrilled to see. And what I want you to understand in this is despite whatever position you may think you have and whatever position you may think you need, God's ability to move through you is not based off of your position. It is based off of how you have positioned your heart to him. And you've got an amazing position in Christ. You're loved, you're cared for, He's gone above and beyond to show you that. And so you are in good standing with Christ. And so what I want you to understand is, man, you don't have to wait for some position someday. You don't have to wait for something that's out there. That the position you're in right now is a position that I believe that God has you. One of my least favorite games to ever play was the last game of the season. It's was playing college baseball, playing high school baseball. The worst game to play was what you knew was likely going to be the last game of the season. And I hated to play this every time except for when I knew it was probably going to be my last game. Because every time up until that point, I had seen this moment and I had seen nothing but just tears after that moment. Because all of these guys, these young men, they're all there and it's their last game. And so because they lost, a lot of times you lose your last game. You know, if you don't lose your last game, well, that's pretty awesome. But you lose your last game and you start crying. And as I've thought about this in regards to God's kingdom, I think that that's unfortunately how a lot of believers are. See, some of you have suffered a loss. Maybe it was a loss of a reputation, maybe it was a loss of some hopes and dreams, maybe it was a loss of a marriage, maybe it was a loss of a freedom, and because of that loss you have taken a seat in the stands in regards to your faith, and you said, because of what I have lost, I am not able to be used by God, but I'm here to tell you that, that Jesus is saying, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. I still have a position for you. You still have years worth of eligibility. And my hope is that you would get out of the stands and get back into the game because I want to use you and I have a position for you to be used in my kingdom. And you have what it takes to play the role that I've called you to play. And he's inviting you into that. And only you and him are going to be able to know exactly what that role looks like. And he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. In whatever position you're in, look, man, I want to speak to some dads right here for a second. Like fathers, men of God. Like if you're in your home and you have offspring, then God has you in your position to make an amazing impact. You are in arguably one of the most influential roles that exist on planet Earth. When God chose to be identified to his people, what role did he choose to be identified as? Father, you have that same burden you're not there by accident brother and my hope and my prayer is that you would get out of the sands get onto the field and be the man of god the father of god the husband of god maybe that god is calling you to be same for you moms take up this mantle take up this realization yes there are going to be hard days yes there's going to be struggles but you are there for a reason and for us as a church the same is true We are positioned right here. The reason that we sit at 2000 Jonesboro Road is because God has positioned us to be used by him. And man, as your pastor, sometimes I wonder, do we have what it takes? Man, I look around, I see a need, I see sin, I see the scars of of sin on our society and our culture and our city. And I go, man, do we have what it takes to meet it? And then I see you respond the ways you do and it gives me hope, it gives me life, it gives me this trust that man, we don't have what it takes, but we serve a God who unequivocally does have what it takes and he's using us cannot wait to see what that looks like the third lie that we tend to believe is that man we we just have a messed up past i got a messed up past and most of us in regards to our past most of us believe that god can forgive us of our past but we don't believe that god can use our past and see i believe jesus knew that would be what we would struggle with and that's why he gave us the story of saul Saul is a guy who we see actually introduced right at the end of Stephen, the guy I just talked about his life. So Stephen, again, he, he's a guy who who's, God's working through in miraculous ways. He, he preaches a sermon. He cuts people down to the heart. And so much so that they get angry. They tear their clothes and they get ready and they stone him and they actually kill him. And, and we have an eyewitness sneak peek into what was happening in that scene in Acts chapter 7, verses 57 and 58. It says this. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, and they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. See, Luke, in his doctoral ways, is giving us this small little detail that was in this scene, because he wants you and I to realize that there giving his stamp of approval, giving his assist to the murder of the first Christian martyr was a man who would go on to write two-thirds of our uh, New Testament, a man who would be a missionary to the nations, a man who would be one of the primary reasons that you and I, if you're a Gentile, if you're non-Jewish, that you're even sitting in a room learning about Jesus Christ, that that same man was holding people's jackets so that they wouldn't get blood on them and that they could have a better aim to kill one of the people who was actually one of his brothers because of the blood of Christ. And see, this this gives us hope. It gives us hope because every single one of us has skeletons in our closet. Every single one of us has things that we hope nobody ever learns about. It gives us hope because even when we know That our past decisions, our past mistakes, they're there. That when God gets the story, he can actually write a new ending. And Saul, that's, that's what ended up happening to him. Saul was doing everything he could to disrupt the movement of God. He, he, after that moment, we see him going, and he's breathing some murderous threats against the Christians. He's separating uh, families. He's throwing people in jail. He's murdering Christians. And then what we see, he's on the road to Damascus, on the way to go and persecute Christians. He's literally a terrorist against the Christian faith. He is ISIS. He is getting after, getting ready to go and murder Christians. And Jesus knocks him off his donkey. Jesus knocks him off of his donkey, blinds him, and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? why are you persecuting me? He blinds him. He essentially has this repentance moment, this, this encounter with, you come to Jesus literally meeting. And then the guys who were there with Saul, they're like, what in the world's going on? And Saul explains to them that you need to take me into d- to Damascus, we need to go there, we need to go to this house. And At the same time, Jesus goes and he speaks to this man named Ananias. He goes and he speaks to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I'm about to drop something crazy on you. Are you sitting down? He says, Ananias, I need you to go to the house on Straight Street. There's a guy named Saul there, and he is going to be used by you. I need you to go there. I need you to meet with him. And I need you to go there, pray with him, and then I need you to baptize him. And what's crazy is you got to imagine that Ananias, who's a follower of Christ, he hears this, and he's like, what you talking about, Jesus. I'm not, I'm not going there. We actually get this background into the argument between Ananias and Jesus. Acts 9.15, if you're reading along, it says this. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Do you catch that? He said, this man is my chosen instrument. This man is my chosen instrument. And in the same way that Jesus said this of Saul, who later became Paul and was used by amazing, miraculous ways by God, he would say the same thing to you. Wherever you're at, in regards to if you believe in Jesus or not, you are already his chosen instrument. In that family, you are his chosen instrument. At that workplace, you are his chosen instrument. On that team, you are his chosen instrument. In that family who's dysfunctional, who's crazy, who you'd rather not go visit on Christmas, he is your chosen instrument to be used by him to lead others to him. See, here's the deal. I think a lot of times when we think about our past, we don't realize that God saw all of that past and still said, I choose you. I choose you and I want you. And when we fail to realize that the very same past that we have that held Jesus against a bloodstained cross is the very same past that God looks at every single one of us and goes, even though your past held my son to a cross, I'm not holding that past against you. Come to me. I want you. I'm desperate for you. Don't let your past make you feel like you don't have what it takes to be used by God. See, He doesn't just want to forgive you of your past. He actually wants to redeem your past. But you've got to give it to him. And the Bible says, when we do, we become something new. Let me read 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. If you're taking notes, the big idea of everything that I'm trying to get after today is this, is that when you have the Holy Spirit, you have what it takes. It gives me hope, and my prayer is that it would give you hope. And there's some of you who are listening to this, and you don't have that hope. You don't have that hope because you don't have the Holy Spirit. And my, my prayer is that you would invite him into your life today through accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Through choosing maybe even to get baptized, what, what allows the Holy Spirit to enter into your life. And if that's you and you want to put your faith in Christ for the very first time, I invite you right there where you're at to pray this with me. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my past. I surrender my excuses. I surrender all the things that I don't quite know yet to believe in the one thing that I do know. That you love me. You died for me. And you alone can give me a new life and an eternal life. And I hope that you accept my life as an offering to you now. And I believe that you will forever more amen if you pray